0: Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick.
1: While well, Graham Hawkins is a business-to-business sales specialist, Graham has recently authored two books on B2B sales. The most recent being the future of the sales profession. Graham joins me on the phone now from Melbourne to tell us why the traditional sales role is extinct and why all the focus is now on the buyer's journey. Graham, start by providing us with an insight into your own career in selling.
0: Yeah, sure. Look, I've spent what is now 30 years in in B2B sales, primarily working with US software companies, primarily down here in the uh, Asia-Pacific region. And most of my roles have been either B2B selling directly or in sales leadership roles. I did also spend four years living and working in London, so I've had some experience over there in your part of the world too. But, yeah, it's been 30 years of of sales and sales leadership, more recently as the founder and CEO of Sales Tribe, but I consider myself first and foremost a salesperson.
1: And you talk in your book about the new realities of selling. What are they?
0: (laughs) Well, how long have we got? I mean, I I could rattle on for a good half day about the new realities. And, look, it, it really all stems from what is now... Um, a vastly different business environment. I keep saying we've moved from vendor push to customer pull business models and I'll explain that shortly. But what's driving all of this change right now, is, of course, is educated buyers. You know, once upon a time, the buyer relied upon the salesperson to to educate them about how they could solve a problem. Um, Nowadays, of course, they've got access to all sorts of information, all sorts of data and insights that allow them to solve their own problems so you know when buyers change how they buy sellers have to change how they sell And, and right now every business on the planet i argue is grappling with how do we adjust or adapt to modern educated and empowered buyers who no longer need the vendor salesperson to educate them
1: So on that basis, how does a business actually adapt its sales process to meet the new needs of this educated buyer?
0: Well, look, the first thing we all have to do is, you know, throw out the old rule books, the old playbooks that were based around this concept of vendor push selling. And by that I mean, you know, identifying a target buyer, interrupting that buyer, and then pushing the buyer through a sales process. There's there's hardly a single buyer on the planet in any industry that will accept that kind of behavior anymore. Uh, instead, what we have to do is, is think about the buying experience, the buying journey, and, you know, put, put the customer experience at the heart of everything we do now, regardless of industry, regardless of product, regardless of, you know, what type of uh, solution you have. We all now have to be thinking about how do we create the most delightful buying experience, so on the back of all of that, what we need to do is, is, is understand the journey that the buyer goes on when they're solving their own business problems. So one of the things that we do at Sales Tribe is a thing called buyer journey mapping, where we, we sit down and we go through with our clients the, the journey that the buyer takes. We look very carefully at each, each step of the buyer journey, the barriers or impediments from moving from one point to the next. And then we reverse engineer the sales playbook. So that it it aligns with the buying journey and it creates what we call a wow at each and every stage of the buyer journey.
1: And Graham, apart from asking the buyer directly, how do you go about unearthing the buyer's journey? Well, it's a good question.
0: There's a lot of generic information out there that you can start with in terms of buyers and and the journey they go they go through. But you know, most salespeople, most customer-facing people, have a pretty good idea of the steps that a buyer will go through. And when we sit down with our clients and we, we say, okay, let, let's let's have a, have a think about a buyer who's in a, a window of status quo. That is, they're unaware of a need. They don't they don't consider themselves to be ha- having a problem right now. What we try to do then is, is get the, the sales team to articulate what are the sorts of questions the buyer might be asking themselves at each of these stages. Then once we've understood that, we can say, all right, well, what's the message that we now need to get to the buyer? And how do we do that? What's the best buying stage appropriate message that we can co- create, and what platform or channel do we need to get that message to them on? I think one of the um, one of the biggest sort of generic challenges everybody's got in this you know post COVID world now is just getting the attention of these buyers, uh, getting a seat at the table, um, getting an opportunity to create that visibility with that educated buyer who is being bombarded by every salesperson on the planet.
1: And apart from the outdating of the traditional sales process and, of course, the emergence of digital sales channels, what else has changed dramatically in the world of sales in recent years?
0: Well, it looks vastly different to the one that I spent most of my career doing, Um, Carl. it's, It's no longer about, you know, the the numbers game. Sales used to be a numbers game, right? Make 100 calls, get 30 interest parties. From the 30 interest parties, you'll get 10 meetings. From the 10 meetings, you'll make three sales. Just treating the buyer as a number is is certainly not what we're doing anymore. Instead, what we're trying to do is understand the buyer as much as we possibly can and give them insights and educate them on information that they can't find themselves, right? we all, as buyers, whether it's a B2C or B2B context, we all go out and do our research. We all seek independent advocacy. We've got, we've got services like comparison websites now. We've got independent advocacy through Google and Amazon reviews, uh, G2 Crowd, Trustpilot, TripAdvisor. These are all the things that buyers now do before they reach out to a vendor. On average, B2B buyers are at least 60 to 80% of the way through decision-making before they even speak to a vendor.
1: Now, there's lots of talk about the demise of the personal relationship in terms of changing customer values. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that depends
0: a lot on the, the size and complexity of the solution that we're talking about. Obviously, at the high end, where well, you're talking about highly innovative, custom-made, bespoke solutions that are, you know, multi-million dollar solutions, obviously the relationship at, in, at, at that end of the spectrum is still pretty pretty important. Anything now that even resembles a commodity product or a transactional package solution, the relationship is now increasingly under pressure. It's no longer something that the buyer needs anymore. I mean, the increasing... The the proof points here are, of course, the increasing online spend that's happening, people buying from websites. There's, There's businesses like Atlassian down here in Australia that's, you know, doing an incredibly successful... Um, growth in that business without any
1: salespeople. So, with the demise of the personal relationship, what are buyers now valuing instead? Well, they're valuing
0: an easy solution.
1: You know, everyone talks about and has been
0: talking about now for a few years, Forrester's Customer Experience Index, where once upon a time it was fine to just meet needs. That's the bottom of the pyramid, being easy to do business with was what everybody aspired to. But now, of course the stakes have been raised and everybody's now aspiring to be really enjoyable to do business with so the buyer now they they expect that you know when the salesperson turns up they you know you know them you've understood their business you've done your research you've come prepared then they expect the second thing is they expect you to be able to personalize everything to their context the third thing they expect and this came out over and over again in my research is they expect that we can teach them something that they can't find themselves on Google, of course. And the fourth thing that, that they now expect in this new world of consumption models, subscription models, is that we can anticipate their future needs as well. So put it put it simply, buyer expectations are now through the roof and they expect to have a delightful buying experience or you know, or they'll go elsewhere.
1: So, if you were setting up a new business today, involved in the business-to-business service area, Graham, would you be investing in employing a sales force, or would you be opting against it?
0: Oh, look, that's a that's a really tough one to answer because, you know, the startup businesses and the small, medium sort of scale-up businesses that we're dealing with, they're looking at a, a number of really important business metrics that drive their business forward. Obviously, cost of acquisition is one, right? So, the cost of customer acquisition. Is now being talked about more than ever. I think businesses, particularly small businesses that don't have a lot of resources, are now realizing that the cost of sales and marketing as a percentage of revenue is still the highest cost. And so startup businesses are holding off more often than not on going out and employing, you know, three, four, five, ten salespeople to start going out and selling. Instead, what they're doing is is they're building a go-to-market model that enables the buyer to become aware of what they do. It's that old, um, you know, stop chasing buyers and instead start trying to attract buyers.
1: So are you finding that businesses at a startup phase now are replacing sales teams with digital marketing investments?
0: Absolutely, yes. There's more and more focus going on brand building to begin with. Um, My own business is, is three and a half years in. Sales Tribe is a three and a half year old startup. And we've, we've spent an awful amount of time building brand ahead of growth. Uh, and to do that, we've, we've embarked upon a content marketing strategy primarily on social platforms and primarily LinkedIn because that's where my audience resides. And that investment in time and energy and, and creating a, a content marketing approach is paying off in big dividends now because all of a sudden, three and a half years in, we have built a brand that's recognised and trusted, we have credibility in our space, and we're getting a large amount of inbound coming towards us because we're positioned correctly in the marketplace. We're not we're not just some unknown company with a sales guy who's making cold calls or knocking on doors, trying to initiate a conversation. And, and this leads, in a way, this leads to one of the most important parts that's, that's changed in the world of sales. And I I summarise it simply with these three words. Opening is the new closing. Once upon a time, it used to be all about closing the deal, right? Now it's all about how do I just get the buyer's attention and open with a narrative that I can then carry forward. That's the big challenge is just opening a conversation. Conversations, of course, are the precursor to sales success.
1: It's a very good point that you make. You have managed to use LinkedIn effectively from a selling perspective. I'm interested to find out how you've achieved that.
0: Yeah, look, it's, um, it's been a really interesting learning curve for me personally and for my business. What we basically did was we started to push out at a fairly regular uh, intervals or, or cadence, if you like, some thought leadership around this changing nature of sales. So for our own business and our target audience, we were very clear that, you know, the world is changing So let's start to educate our buyers about how things are changing and share some of the research. We did that with content. We did that on LinkedIn. Initially, we did that with long-form articles and and well-researched papers. More recently, that's become video. It's become short-form blog posts. And anything that looked like it was valuable content, we pushed it out to our audience on LinkedIn. And in parallel, We were very, very quick to build our network, our following on LinkedIn. So in other words, anybody that engaged with our content, anybody that liked or shared or commented on the content, we brought them into our first degree connections because obviously once they're in your first degree connections and they're they're aware of you, then they see all of your content from here on. That's how the LinkedIn platform in particular works and that's how it's worked so well for us.
1: And in terms of developing commercial insights, where is the commercial and vendor value in relation to that?
0: What's in it for us in terms of creating the insights? Well, that, that, that's what builds the sales playbook, right? Once you've understood your buyer and, and the problems that you're trying to solve and you've positioned yourself as, as a resource that might be able to help them, then all of those insights and all of that data and all of that storytelling that you've now got access to, that thought leadership – positions you, as it has done with our business, as, you know, the the top-of-mind supplier or the, the go-to choice when a buyer realises, oh, we've got a problem here. Um, who do we know? Who's top of mind? You know, if, if if you agree with what I said earlier that the buyer is at least 60 to 80% of the way through decision-making before they reach out to any vendors, then our big challenge is making sure we're visible at the beginning of the buyer journey all of the, the value that you're creating as a vendor, that needs to be put out there in the, in the marketplace so that you can attract buyers when they do move into a buying window.
1: Now, you'll find that people out of particular expertise in particular areas and sectors, they like to guard that particular knowledge. But the new sales approach is really turning that on its head. You have to prove you're worked up front almost, don't you?
0: Yeah. It's, it's that classic um, create value before you try to extract value and everyone's on this path now everyone's talking about just just share your content, give your message away and, and and you know be seen as someone who's not just credible but willing to share information. There's no point guarding that information in my business. There's a lot of IP and thought leadership that I've been hesitant to put out there in the market because I, you know, like you said, I want to protect that as our own. But it doesn't serve me to have it tucked away inside my business. I may as well get it out there and use that as the, the bait that draws people to us, which is exactly what we've done and it's exactly what's working.
1: And in a world of digital selling, it's so important to cultivate your personal brand. What advice have you got for listeners in that respect? Oh, look, I'm a huge
0: advocate for this. and you know, It's absolutely pointless pushing out any content or you know, waving your arms around and saying, hey, look at me, I'm a thought leader, I can help you solve any problems. Because what's now happening, of course, is when a buyer gets a, uh, a message from a particular vendor salesperson, the first thing they do is Google that person. If nothing comes up, it'll be unusual. But the, normally, the first thing that comes up is your LinkedIn profile. No point drawing back people back to your profile if when they land there, you look, you look unremarkable. You have to build the most compelling personal brand you possibly can, your digital footprint. You know, it's what Jeff Bezos from Amazon said years ago. He said, your personal brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. My LinkedIn profile is my own 24 by 7 TV advertisement about me and my business. So I spend a lot of time cultivating my own personal brand. It just, it just has to be that way now.
1: And of course, influencing skills are essential tools for salespeople. But how can these be achieved and used on social?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So I think the influencing tools are less important now than the educational tools. You know, when you, when you sell, you break rapport, but when you educate, you build rapport. And so I'm not, I'm not going to start trying to influence my buyers or pitch at them or even sound like I'm being even remotely salesy. What I'm intent on doing now and what the really savvy vendors around the world are doing is just how do I educate my buyer. So how do I become a specialist in my field so that I can I can provide educational material that, the, that the, the buyer will ultimately value? So it's less about influence and more about education.
1: And Graham, you believe that 95% of salespeople will be replaced by artificial intelligence within 20 years. It's a frightening statistic for salespeople to have to listen to this morning. So what can they do to stay relevant?
0: Where the world is going with sales engagement platforms and all of the technology that puts the power back in the buyer's hands, the role of the salesperson is increasingly under some scrutiny. So, you know, it's incumbent upon everyone who's in a sales role now to step up and to specialise and to to be seen as being able to add value or you just become another cost layer in the value chain, which, you know, buyers will go into salesperson avoidance mode if you're not
1: careful. In terms of posting rich content, how can you accelerate the sales process apart from actually reaching out to the buyer a number of times before it actually comes to a sale?
0: Well, you can be—you um, can do a number of, of the, the, the processes that we developed is something called the courtship. And uh, we talked about this recently with um, Technological University of Dublin and, and their alumni in the business school. what buyers now expect, as I said before, is they expect everything to be personalised to their context. So if I'm going to write a a piece of content and I know it's going to be relevant to a particular target demographic or a target audience, then I'm not just going to post that, you know, put it up on LinkedIn and, and sit back and wait for the leads to roll in. I'm not going to do that at all. I'm going to take a proactive approach. I'm going to not just post it, but I'm going to share it as a piece of content to a particular buyer who I think might be interesting or interested in the content, and I'm going to say, you know, hey, Carl, I saw this and I thought of you. Hope this is of some value. You know, and share that content with Carl as a personal message rather than just what I call spray and pray. Spray your message out there, spray your content, and pray that someone's going to see it. No, I'm going to be proactive about it. I'm going to go to the people who I know might be interested in this particular piece of content.
1: Well, if you've just tuned in, that was Graham Hawkins from Sales Tribe, and I appreciate Graham joining us from down under to share his excellent insights with us this morning. Southeast Radio's Business
0: Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick.
1: Southeast Radio.